Chapters seven and eight of Lena Rivers by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seven, Malcolm Everett. It would be tiresome both to ourselves and our readers were we to enumerate the many mortifications which both Mr. and Mrs. Livingstone were compelled to endure from their mother, who gradually came to understand her true position in the family one by one her ideas of teaching them economy were given up as was also all hopes of ever being at all familiar with her daughter whom at her son's request she had ceased to call tilda maybe you want me to say miss livingstone said she but i shan't i'll call her miss nichols or matilda just which she chooses of course mrs livingstone chose the latter wincing though every time she heard it dreading a scene which he knew was sure to follow a disclosure of his engagement with miss nancy mr livingstone had requested his mother to keep it from his wife and she appreciating his motive promised secrecy lamenting the while the ill fortune which had prevented nancy from being her daughter-in-law and dwelling frequently upon the comfort she would take were nancy there in matilda's place on the whole however she was tolerably contented the novelty of kentucky life pleased her and at last like most northern people she fell in with the habits of those around her still her massachusetts friends were not forgotten and many a letter wonderful for its composition and orthography found its way to nancy scovendike who wrote in return that some time or other she should surely visit kentucky asking further if the big bugs didn't prefer eastern teachers for their children and hinting at her desire to engage in that capacity when she came south now that's the very thing exclaimed mrs nichols folding the letter directed wrong side up and resuming her knitting nancy's larnin is plenty good enough to teach carline and annie and i mean to speak to john about it right away i wouldn't do any such thing said lena seeing at a glance how such a proposal would be received why not asked mrs nichols and lena replied i don't think nancy would suit aunt livingstone at all and besides that they've engaged a teacher a mr everett and expect him next week you don't say so returned mrs nichols i never hearn a word on it whereabouts is he from and how much do they give him a week the latter lena knew nothing about but she replied that she believed he was from rockford a village near rochester new york why nancy scovendike's sister lives there i wouldn't wonder if he knew her very likely returned lena catching her bonnet and hurrying off to ride with captain atherton and anna as we have once before observed anna was a great favourite with the captain who had petted her until john jr teased her unmercifully calling him her grey-haired lover and the like this made anna exceedingly sensitive and now when the captain called for her to ride as he frequently did she refused to go unless the invitation was also extended to lena who in this way got many a pleasant ride around the country she was fast learning to like kentucky and would have been very happy had her aunt and carrie been a little more gracious but the former seldom spoke to her and the latter only to ridicule something which she said or did many and amusing were the disputes between the two girls concerning their peculiarities of speech carrie bidding lena quit her yankee habit of eternally guessing and lena retorting that she would when carrie stopped her everlasting reckoning 
to avoid the remarks of the neighbours who she knew were watching her narrowly mrs livingstone had purchased lena two or three dresses which though greatly inferior to those worn by carrie and anna were still fashionably made and so much improved lena's looks that her manners improved also for what child does not appear to better advantage when conscious of looking well more than once had her uncle's hand rested for a moment on her brown curls while his thoughts were traversing the past and in fancy his fingers were again straying among the silken locks now resting in the grave it would seem as if the mother from her coffin was pleading for her child for all the better nature of mr livingstone was aroused and when he secured the services of mr everett who was highly recommended both as a scholar and gentleman he determined that lena should share the same advantages with his daughters to this mrs livingstone made no serious objection for as mr everett would teach in the house it would not do to debar lena from the privilege of attending his school and as the highest position to which she could aspire was to be governess in some private family she felt willing she said that she should have a chance of acquiring the common branches and now mr everett was daily expected anna who had no fondness for books greatly dreaded his arrival thinking within herself how many pranks she'd play off upon him provided lena would lend a helping hand which she much doubted john jr too who for a time at least was to be placed under mr everett's instruction felt in no wise eager for his arrival fearing as he told lena that between the old man and the tutor he would be kept a little too straight for a gentleman of his habits and it was with no particular emotions of pleasure that he and anna saw the stage stop before the gate one pleasant morning toward the middle of november running to one of the front windows carrie lena and anna watched their new teacher each after her own fashion commenting upon his appearance ugh exclaimed anna what a green boyish-looking thing i reckon nobody's going to be afraid of him i say he's real handsome said carrie who being thirteen years of age had already in her own mind practised many a little coquetry upon the stranger i like him was lena's brief remark mr everett was a pale intellectual-looking man scarcely twenty years of age and appearing still younger so that anna was not wholly wrong when she called him boyish still there was in his large black eye a firmness and decision which bespoke the man strong within him and which put to flight all of anna's preconceived notions of rebellion with the utmost composure he returned mrs livingstone's greeting and the proud lady half bit her lip with vexation as she saw how little he seemed awed by her presence malcolm everett was not one to acknowledge superiority where there was none and though ever polite toward mrs livingstone there was something in his manner which forbade her treating him as aught save an equal he was not to be trampled down and for once in her life mrs livingstone had found a person who would neither cringe to her nor flatter the children were not presented to him until dinner-time when with the air of a young desperado john jr marched into the dining-room eyeing his teacher askance calculating his strength and returning his greeting with a simple nod mr everett scanned him from head to foot and then turned to carrie half smiling at the great dignity which she assumed with lena and anna he seemed better pleased holding their hands and smiling down upon them through rows of teeth which anna pronounced the whitest she had ever seen mr livingstone was not at home and when his mother appeared mrs livingstone did not think proper to introduce her but if by this omission she thought to keep the old lady silent she was mistaken for the moment mrs nichols was seated she commenced with your name is everett i believe yes ma'am said he bowing very gracefully toward her 
any kin to the governor that was no ma'am none whatever and the white teeth became slightly visible for a moment but soon disappeared you are from rockford lena tells me yes ma'am have you friends there yes or that is nancy scovendike's sister betsy scovendike that used to be lives there maybe you know her her name is bacon betsy bacon she's a widder and keeps boarders ah said he the teeth this time becoming wholly visible i've heard of mrs bacon but have not the honour of her acquaintance you are from the east i perceive law now how did you know that asked mrs nichols while mr everett answered i guessed at it with a peculiar emphasis on the word guest which led lena to think he had used it purposely and not from habit mr everett possessed in a remarkable degree the faculty of making those around him both respect and like him and ere six weeks had passed he had won the love of all his pupils even john jr was greatly improved and carrie seemed suddenly reawakened into a thirst for knowledge deeming no task too long and no amount of study too hard if it won the commendation of her teacher lena who committed to memory with great ease and who consequently did not deserve so much credit for her always perfect lessons seldom received a word of praise while poor anna notoriously lazy when books were concerned cried almost every day because as she said mr everett didn't like her as he did the rest else why did he look at her so much watching her all the while and keeping her after school to get her lessons over when he knew how she hated them once mrs livingstone ventured to remonstrate telling him that anna was very sensitive and required altogether different treatment from carrie she thinks you dislike her said she and while she retains this impression she will do nothing as far as learning is concerned so if you do not like her try and make her think you do there was a peculiar look in mr everett's dark eyes as he answered you may think it strange mrs livingstone but of all my pupils i love anna the best i know i find more fault with her and am perhaps more severe with her than with the rest but it's because i would make her what i wish her to be pardon me madam but anna does not possess the same amount of intellect with her cousin or sister but by proper culture she will make a fine intelligent woman mrs livingstone hardly relished being told that one child was inferior to the other but she could not well help herself mr everett would say what he pleased and thus the conference ended from that time mr everett was exceedingly kind to anna wiping away the tears which invariably came when told that she must stay with him in the schoolroom after the rest were gone then instead of seating himself in rigid silence at a distance until her task was learned he would sit by her side occasionally smoothing her long curls and speaking encouragingly to her as she pored over some hard rule of grammar or puzzled her brains with some difficult problem in colburn ere long the result of all this became manifest anna grew fonder of her books more ready to learn and more willing to be kept after school ah little did mrs livingstone think what she was doing when she bade young malcolm everett make her warm-hearted impulsive daughter think he liked her eight scheming mother where's lena's dress hasn't she got any asked anna one morning about two weeks before christmas as she bent over a promiscuous pile of merinos delaines and plaid silks her own and carrie's dresses for the coming holidays say mother didn't you buy lena any thus interrogated mrs livingstone replied i wonder if you think i'm made of money lena is indebted to me now far more than she can ever pay 
as long as i give her a home and am at so much expense in educating her she of course can't expect me to dress her as i do you there's carrie's brown delaine and your blue one which i intend to have made over for her and she ought to be satisfied with that for they are much better than anything she had when she came here and the lady glanced towards the spot where lena sat admiring the new things in which she had no share and longing to ask the question which anna had asked for her and which had now been answered john jr who was present and who knew that mr everett had been engaged to teach in the family long before it was known that lena was coming now said to his cousin who arose to leave yes lena mother's a model of generosity and you'll never be able to repay her for her kindness in allowing you to wear the girl's old duds which would otherwise be given to the blacks and in permitting you to recite to mr everett who of course was hired on your account the slamming together of the door as lena left the room brought the young gentleman's remarks to a close and wishing to escape the lecture which he saw was preparing for him he too made his exit christmas was coming and with it durwood belmont and about his coming mrs livingstone felt some little anxiety always scheming and always looking ahead she was expecting great results from this visit durward was not only immensely wealthy but was also descended on his father's side from one of england's noblemen altogether he was she thought a decided catch and though he was now only sixteen while carrie was but thirteen lifelong impressions had been made at even an earlier period and mrs livingstone resolved that her pretty daughter should at least have all the advantages of dress with which to set off her charms concerning anna's appearance she cared less for she had but little hope of her unless indeed but twas too soon to think of that she would wait and perhaps in good time twould all come round naturally and as a matter of course so she encouraged her daughter's intimacy with captain atherton who until malcolm everett appeared was in anna's estimation the best man living now however she made an exception in favour of her teacher who as she told the captain neither wore false teeth nor kept in his pocket a pair of specks to be slyly used when he fancied no one saw him captain atherton coughed coloured laughed and saying that mr everett was a mash kind of a boy swore eternal enmity toward him and under the mask of friendship watched eleven years before when anna was a baby mrs livingstone had playfully told the captain who was one day deploring his want of a wife that if he would wait he should have her daughter to this he agreed and the circumstance trivial as it was made a more than ordinary impression upon his mind and though he had as yet no definite idea that the promise would ever be fulfilled the little girl was to him an object of uncommon interest mrs livingstone knew this and whenever anna's future prospects were the subject of her meditations she generally fell back upon that fact as an item not to be despised now however her thoughts were turned into another and widely different channel christmas week was to be spent by durward belmont partly at captain atherton's and partly at her own house and as mrs livingstone was not ignorant of the effect a becoming dress has upon a pretty face she determined that carrie should at least have that advantage anna too was to fare like her sister while no thought was bestowed upon poor lena's wardrobe until her husband who accompanied her to frankfort suggested that a certain pattern which he fancied would be becoming to lena should be purchased with an angry scowl mrs livingstone muttered something about spending so much money for other folks young ones then remembering the old delanes and knowing by the tone of her husband's voice that he was in earnest she quickly rejoined why lena's got two new dresses at home 
never doubting his wife's word mr livingstone was satisfied and nothing more was said upon the subject business of importance made it necessary for him to go for a few weeks to new orleans and he was now on his way thither his wife having accompanied him as far as frankfort where he took the boat while she returned home when lena left the room after learning that she had no part in the mass of christmas finery she repaired to the arbor bridge where she had wept so bitterly on the first day of her arrival and which was now her favorite resort for a time she sat watching the leaping waters swollen by the winter rains and wondering if it were not possible that they started at first from the pebbly spring which gushed so cool and clear from the mountain-side near her old new england home this reminded her of where and what she was now a dependent on the bounty of those who wished her away and who almost every day of her life made her feel it so keenly too not one among them loved her except anna and would not her affection change as they grew older then her thoughts took another direction durward belmont was coming but did she wish to see him could she bear the sneering remarks which she knew carrie would make concerning herself and how would he be affected by them would he ask her of her father and if so what had she to say many a time had she tried to penetrate the dark mystery of her birth but her grandmother was wholly non-committal once too when her uncle seemed kinder than usual she had ventured to ask him of her father and with a frown he had replied that the least she knew of him the better still lena felt sure that he was a good man and that some time or other she would find him all day long the clouds had been threatening rain which began to fall soon after lena entered the arbor but so absorbed was she in her own thoughts that she did not observe it until her clothes were perfectly dampened then starting up she repaired to the house for several days she had not been well and this exposure brought on a severe cold which confined her to her room for nearly two weeks meantime the dressmaking process went on anna keeping lena constantly apprised of its progress and occasionally wearing in some article for her inspection this reminded lena of her own wardrobe and knowing that it would not be attended to while she was sick she made such haste to be well that on thursday at tea-time she took her accustomed seat at the table after supper she lingered a while in the parlor hoping something would be said but she waited in vain and was about leaving when a few words spoken by carrie in an adjoining room caught her ear and arrested her attention they were and so lena came down to-night i dare say she thinks he will set miss simpson at work upon my old delane perhaps so returned mrs livingstone but i don't see how miss simpson can do it unless you put off having that silk apron embroidered i shan't do any such thing said carrie glad of an excuse to keep lena out of the way what matter is it if she don't come down when the company are here i'd rather she wouldn't for she's so green and awkward and durward is so fastidious in such matters that i'd rather he wouldn't know she's a relative of ours i know he'd tell his mother and they say she is very particular about his associates lena's first impulse was to defy her cousin to her face to tell her she had seen durward belmont and that he didn't laugh at her either but her next thought was calmer and more rational possibly under carrie's influence he might make fun of her and resolving on no condition whatever to make herself visible while he was in the house she returned to her room and throwing herself upon the bed wept until she fell asleep when is miss simpson going to fix lena's dress asked anna as day after day passed and nothing was said of the brown delane for an instant mrs simpson's nimble fingers were still as she awaited the answer to a question which had occurred to her several times 
she was a kind-hearted intelligent girl and at a glance had seen how matters stood she too was an orphan and her sympathies were all enlisted in behalf of the neglected lena she had heard from anna of the brown delane and in her own mind she had determined that it should be fitted with the utmost taste of which she was capable her speculations however were brought to a close by mrs livingstone saying in reply to anna that lena seemed so wholly uninterested and cared so little about seeing the company she had decided not to have the dress fixed until after christmas week the fiery expression of two large glittering eyes which at that moment peered in at the door convinced miss simpson that her employer had hardly told the truth and she secretly determined that lena should have the dress whether she would or not accordingly the next time she and anna were alone she asked for the delane entrusting her secret to anna who thinking no harm promised to keep it from her mother but to get lena fitted was a more difficult matter her spirit was roused and for a time she resisted their combined efforts at last however she yielded and by working late at night in her own room miss simpson managed to finish the dress in which lena really looked better than did either of her cousins in their garments of far richer materials still she was resolved not to go down and anna fearing what her mother might say dared not urge her very strongly hoping though that something would turn up durward belmont nelly douglas and mabel ross had arrived at captain atherton's mrs livingstone and her daughters had called upon them inviting them to spend a few days at maple grove where they were to meet some other young people selected from the wealthiest families in the neighbourhood mrs livingstone said at the same time patting the sallow cheek of mabel whose reputed hundred thousand she intended should one day increase the importance of her own family the invitation was accepted the day had arrived the guests were momentarily expected and carrie before the long mirror was admiring herself alternately frowning upon john jr who was mimicking her airs and scolding anna for fretting because lena could not be induced to join them finding that her niece was resolved not to appear mrs livingstone for looks sake had changed her tactics saying lena could come down if she chose she was sure there was nothing to prevent knowing this anna had exhausted all her powers of eloquence upon her cousin but she still remained inexorable greatly to the astonishment of her grandmother who for several days had been suffering from a rheumatic affection notwithstanding which she meant to hobble down if possible for said she i want to see this durwood belmont matilda says he's got noble blood in him i used to know a family of nobles in massachusetts and i think like as not he's some kin carrie to whom this remark was made communicated it to her mother who forthwith repaired to mrs nichols's room telling her that twas a child's party and hinting pretty strongly that she was neither wanted nor expected in the parlour and would confer a great favour by keeping aloof wall wall said mrs nichols who had learned to dread her daughter's displeasure i'd as life stay up here as not but i do want lena to join em she's young and would enjoy it without a word of answer mrs livingstone walked away leaving lena more determined than ever not to go down when the evening at last arrived anna insisted so strongly upon her wearing the delane for fear of what might happen that lena consented curling her hair with great care and feeling a momentary thrill of pride as she saw how well she looked when we get nicely to enjoying ourselves said anna you come down and look through the glass door for i do want you to see durwood he's so handsome but there's the carriage i must go and away ran anna down the stairs while lena flew to one of the front windows to see the company as they rode up 
first came captain atherton's carriage and in it the captain and his maiden sister together with a pale sickly-looking girl whom lena knew to be mabel ross behind them rode durwood belmont and at his side on a spirited little pony was another girl thirteen or fourteen years of age but in her long riding-dress looking older because taller lena readily guessed that this was nelly douglas and at a glance she recognized the durward of the cars grown handsomer and taller since then she thought with a nimble bound he leaped from his saddle kissing his hand to carrie who with her sunniest smile ran past him to welcome nelly a pang not of jealousy but of an undefined something shot through lena's heart and dropping the heavy curtain she turned away while the tears gathered thickly in her large brown eyes where's lena asked captain atherton of anna warming his red fingers before the blazing grate and looking round upon the group of girls who were gathered near glancing at her mother anna replied she says she don't want to come down bashful returned the captain while nelly douglas asked who lena was at the same time returning the pinch which john jr had slyly given her as a mode of showing his preference for nelly was his favorite fearful of anna's reply mrs livingstone answered carelessly she's the child of one of mr livingstone's poor relations and we've taken her a while out of charity at any other time john jr would doubtless have questioned his mother's word but now so engrossed was he with the merry hoydenish nelly that he scarcely heard her remark or noticed the absence of lena with the exception of his cousin nelly was the only girl whom john jr could endure the rest he said were so stuck up and affected for mabel ross he seemed to have a particular aversion not because she was so very disagreeable but because his mother continually reminded him of what she hoped one day would be and this he said was enough to make a feller hate a girl so without considering that mabel was not to blame he ridiculed her unmercifully calling her a bundle of medicine and making fun of her thin sallow face which really appeared to great disadvantage when contrasted with nelly's bright eyes and round rosy cheeks when the guests were all assembled carrie not knowing whether durward belmont would relish plays seated herself demurely upon the sofa prepared to act the dignified young lady or any other character she might think necessary get up cad said john jr nobody's going to act like they were at a funeral get up and let's play something as the rest seemed to be similarly inclined carrie arose and ere long the joyous shouts reached lena making her half wish that she too was there remembering anna's suggestion of looking through the glass door she stole softly down the stairs and stationing herself behind the door looked in on the scene mr everett usually so dignified had joined in the game claiming forfeits from anna more frequently than was considered at all necessary by the captain who for a time looked jealously on and then declaring himself as young as any of them joined them with a right good will blind man's bluff was next proposed and lena's heart leaped up for that was her favorite game john jr was first blinded but he caught them so easily that all declared he could see and loud were the calls for durward to take his place this he willingly did and whether he could see or not he suffered them to pass directly under his hands thus giving entire satisfaction on account of the heat of the rooms anna on passing the glass door threw it open and the next time durward came round he marched directly into the hall seizing lena who was trying to hide feeling her long curls he exclaimed anna you are caught no i ain't anna let me go said lena struggling to escape 
this brought all the girls to the spot while durward snatching the muffler from his eyes looked down with astonishment upon the trembling lena who would have escaped had she not been so securely hemmed in ain't you ashamed lena to be peeking asked carrie while durward repeated lena lena i've seen her before in the cars between springfield and albany but how came she here she lives here she's our cousin said anna notwithstanding the twitch given to her sleeve by carrie who did not care to have the relationship exposed your cousin said durward and where's the old lady who was with her the one she called granny asked john jr on purpose to rouse up his fiery little cousin no i don't call her granny neither i've quit it said lena angrily adding as a sly hit at kentucky talk she's up stars sick with the rheumatism good said durward but why are you not down here with us i didn't want to come was her reply and durward leading her into the parlor continued but now that you are here you must stay pretty isn't she said nelly as the full blaze of the chandelier fell upon lena rather was carrie's hesitating reply she felt annoyed that lena should be in the parlor and provoked that durward should notice her in any way and at the first opportunity she told him how much she both troubled and mortified them by her vulgarity and obstinacy adding that she had a most violent temper from nelly she had learned that durward particularly disliked passionate girls and for this reason she strove to give him the impression that lena was such as one once or twice she fancied him half inclined to disbelieve her as he saw how readily lena joined in their amusements and how good-humouredly she bore john jr's teasing and then she hoped something would occur to prove her words true her wish was gratified the next day was dark and stormy confining the young people to the house about ten o'clock the negro who had been to the post-office returned bringing letters for the family among which was one for lena so curious in its shape and superscription that even the negro grinned as he handed it out lena was not then present and carrie taking the letter exclaimed now if this isn't the last specimen from yankeedom just listen and she spelled out the direction to miss heleny rivers state of kentucky county of woodford dorsey post office care of miss nichols unobserved by any one lena had entered the parlor in time to hear every word and when carrie chancing to espy her held out the letter saying here heleny i guess this came from down east she darted forward and striking the letter from carrie's hand stamped upon it with her foot declaring she'd never open it in the world and saying they might do what they please with it for all of her read it may we read it eagerly asked carrie delighted to see lena doing such justice to her reputation yes read it almost screamed lena and before anyone could interpose a word carrie had broken the seal and commenced reading announcing first that it came from joel slocum it was as follows dear heleny maybe you'll wonder when you see a letter from me but i'll be hanged if i can't help writin i'm so confounded lonesome now you are gone that i don't know nothing what to do with myself so i set on the great rocks where the saxfax grows and think and think till it seems as if my head would bust open well how do you get along down amongst them heathenish kentucks and niggers i suppose there ain't no great difference between em is there when i get a little more larnin i believe i'll come down there to keep school 
oh i forgot to tell you that your old line-back cow has got a calf the prettiest little critter dad has gin her to me and i call her helene i do i swall and when she capers round she makes me think of the way you danced high putty martin the time you stuck a sliver in your heel up to this point lena had stood immovable amid the loud shouts of her companions but the fire of a hundred volcanoes burned within and flashed from her eyes and now springing forward she caught the letter from carrie's hand and inflicting a long scratch upon her forehead fled from the room had not durward belmont been present carrie would have flown after her cousin to avenge the insult and even now she was for a moment thrown off her guard and starting forward exclaimed the tigress drawing his fine cambric handkerchief from his pocket durward gently wiped the blood from her white brow saying never mind it is not a deep scratch i wish twas deeper muttered john jr you'd no business to serve her so mean an angry retort rose to carrie's lips but just in time to prevent its utterance durward also spoke saying it was too bad to tease her so but we were all more or less to blame and i'm not sure but we ought to apologize carrie felt that she would die almost before she'd apologize to such as lena and still she thought it might be well enough to give durward the impression that she was doing her best to make amends for her fault accordingly the next time her cousin appeared in the parlour she was all smiles and affability talking a great deal to lena who returned very short but civil answers while her face wore a look which durward construed into defiance and hatred of everybody and everything too passionate thought he turning from her to carrie whose voice modulated to its softest tones rang out clear and musical as she sported and laughed with her moody cousin appearing the very essence of sweetness and amiability pity he could not have known how bitterly lena had wept over her hasty action not because he witnessed it but because she knew it was wrong pity he could not have read the tear-blotted note which she laid on carrie's work-box and in which was written i am sorry carrie that i hurt you so i didn't know what i was about but i will try and not get so angry again pity too that he did not see the look of contempt with which carrie perused this note and when the two girls accidentally met in the upper hall and lena laid her hand gently on carrie's arm it is a thousand pities he was not present to see how fiercely she was repulsed carrie exclaiming get out of my sight i hate you and so do all of them downstairs durwood in particular had he known all this he would have thought differently of lena who feeling that she was not wanted in the parlour kept herself entirely aloof never again appearing during the remainder of his stay once durward asked for her and half laughingly carrie replied that she had not yet recovered from her pouting fit could he have known her real occupation he might have changed his mind again the stormy weather had so increased mrs nichols rheumatic complaint that now perfectly crippled she lay as helpless as a child carefully nursed by lena and old aunt polly who spite of her own infirmities had hobbled in to wait upon her friend never but once did mrs livingstone go near her mother's sick-room the smell of herbs made her faint she said but to do her justice we must say that she gave polly unqualified permission to order anything she pleased for the invalid toward the close of the third day the company left nelly douglas who really liked lena and wished to bid her good-bye whispered to john jr asking him to show her the way to his cousin's room 
no one except members of the family had ever been in mrs nichols's apartment and for a moment john jr hesitated knowing well that nelly could not fail to observe the contrast it presented to the other richly furnished chambers they ought to be mortified it'll serve em right he thought at last and motioning nelly to follow him he silently led the way to his grandmother's room where their knock was answered by aunt polly's gruff voice which bade them come in they obeyed but nelly started back when she saw how greatly inferior was this room to the others around it in an instant her eye took in everything and she readily comprehended the whole it isn't my doings by a jugful whispered john jr himself reddening as he noted the different articles of furniture which had never before seemed so meagre and poor on the humble bed in a half-upright position lay mrs nichols white as the snowy cap border which shaded her face behind her sat lena supporting her head and when nelly entered she was carefully pushing back the few grey locks which had fallen over the invalid's forehead her own bright curls mingling with them and resting some on her neck and some on her grandmother's shoulder a deep flush dyed her cheeks when she saw nelly who thought she had never looked upon a sight more beautiful i did not know your grandmother was ill said she coming forward and gently touching the swollen hand which lay outside the counterpane mrs nichols was not too ill to talk and forthwith she commenced a history of her malady beginning at the time she first had it when lena's mother was a year and a day old frequently quoting nancy scovendike and highly entertaining nelly who listened until warned by the sound of the carriage as it came round to the door that she must go we are going back to uncle atherton's said she but i wanted to bid you good-bye and ask you to visit me in frankfort with your cousins will you do so this was wholly unexpected to lena who without replying burst into tears nelly hardly knew what to do she seldom cried herself she did not like to see others cry and still she did not blame lena for she felt that she could not help it at last taking her hand she bade her farewell asking if she should not carry a good-bye to the others yes to mabel said lena and not derward asked nelly with something of her old spirit lena answered no he hates me carrie says so cad's a fool muttered john jr while nelly rejoined derward never hated anybody and even if he did he would not say so i mean to tell him and with another good-bye she was gone on the stairs she met derward who was looking for her and asked where she had been to bid lena good-bye don't you want to go too said nelly why yes if you are sure she won't scratch my eyes out he returned gaily following his cousin i reckon i'd better tell lena to come out into the hall she may not want you in there said john jr and hastening forward he told his cousin what was wanted oh how lena longed to go but pride and the remembrance of carrie's words prevented her and coldly answering no i don't wish to see him she turned away to hide the tears and pain which those words had cost her this visit to grandma nichols's room was productive of some good for john jr did not fail of repeating to his mother the impression which he saw was made on nelly's mind adding that though derward did not venture in nelly would of course tell him all about it and then said he i wouldn't give much for his opinion of your treatment of your mother angry because she felt the truth of what her son said mrs livingstone demanded what he'd have her do do he repeated give grandmother a decent room or else fix that one up so it won't look like the old scratch had been having a cotillion there paper and paint it and make it look decent 
upon this last piece of advice mrs livingstone resolved to act for recently several vague rumours had reached her ear touching her neglect of her mother-in-law and she began herself to think it was just possible that a little of her money would be well expended in adding to the comfort of her husband's mother accordingly as soon as mrs nichols was able to sit up her room underwent a thorough renovation and though no great amount of money was expended upon it it was fitted up with so much taste that the poor old lady whom john jr lena and anna had adroitly kept out of the way until her room was finished actually burst into tears when first ushered into her light airy apartment in which everything looked so cheerful and pleasant tilda has now and then a good streak said she while aunt milly who had taken a great deal of interest in the repairing of the room felt inclined to change her favourite theory with regard to her mistress's future condition End of chapter seven and eight